0: Peter chapter 1. We're going to focus in on verse 13 and 16 together. So uh, a few weeks ago, uh, my wife and I, we, we celebrated our 13th wedding anniversary. Which is, thank you. Th- thank you. Thank you for the four people that were marginally <laughs> excited about my marriage. Um, now, you know, we, we, we celebrated our, our 13th wedding anniversary. And every year on our anniversary, we kind of have this routine where we will out to a nice dinner that we really can't afford. But we, we do this like once a year and we sit down And we reflect back on the year that just was, and then we think about the year that's going to come, and we just ask God to kind of help us reestablish the priorities of our life. And so that's what we do every year on our anniversary. So this year is no exception, but kind of in the middle of it, we found ourselves reflecting back a little bit further, not just over the last year, but over the last 13 years. And we're thinking about some of the joys and the sorrows, the adventures, the ups, the downs, the surprises, all of that. And uh, we were reminded of just some of the things that God has kind of taught us in these 13 years together and for some reason that night we got talking about one of the first lessons that we ever learned in the context of marriage and it's a lesson that we're still learning and it's this that it is possible to have a new status but still to live an old life like you can have a new status but still live an old life and so here's what I mean by that you know in in marriage it's this kind of like mysterious moment where all of a sudden you get a brand new status you know like in one moment I was a single guy that knew nothing about women in the very next moment, I was a married guy that still knew nothing about women. You know, like in one moment I was living with five dudes in a cheap house, and our, our greatest expense was how we split the cable bill. You know, like that was like the, the greatest level of like covenantal commitment that I knew at that point. The next moment I'm standing in front of all of my friends and my family members in a rented tux, making promises that so exceed, you know, my ability to keep them in one moment i'm single in the next moment i'm married an instant change of status but what we learned over the next year and couple of years and 13 years we're still learning is that you can have a new status but still live an old way of life and so we come back from the honeymoon and it's like we have this new status but we only knew life is as, as single people and so at the time uh, sydney was working as a physical therapist she'd go all over starting new physical therapy clinics so she had to get up early in the morning to open the clinics and and I was working on a college campus at the time, and so I'm hanging out late with college students, and it was as if we were living two separate lives. And so most nights, especially that first year of marriage, I would lay down in bed with Sydney around 9.30 because she's exhausted and just ready to fall asleep. And uh, I'd lay down in bed, and I'd wait for her to fall asleep, and then I would roll out of bed as quietly as I could, and I would go hang out with my friends. I'd go watch movies, I'd go skateboarding, I'd, like, stay up late, like, it's just, And she knew I was doing this. I wasn't, like, sneaking around, you know, like... <laughs> There was like nothing morally defunct going on here. It was just like, I was just living kind of as a young single guy, even though my status had changed. And so I remember about a year into marriage, I'm sitting down with one of my mentors, a good friend of mine, and he's just asking me about the year and I'm telling him. And I get to that part of the story where I roll out of bed every night and go hang out with my friends. And he looks at me and he says, like, Dave, do you know that's not normal? <laughs> like, in fact, that's kind of ridiculous. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, it's, it's time for you to start living into this new reality. Like, it's time for you to start living as though you're married. Like, your status has changed, but your life hasn't caught up with that. And, and any of us that have tried to follow Jesus or are following Jesus, don't you know how true that is? Like, it's, it's possible to have a new status, but to still wrestle with an old way of life. Like, in one moment, you were a sinner condemned. In the next moment, by the grace of God, you were a child forgiven. And if you're anything like me, what I discovered as I made that transition into that new status is I smuggled in all of my old ways of living, like my old habits, my old thinking, my old patterns, all of those things came with me. And it's only been over time over the last 20 years or so, and I'm still in this process where God is saying, hey, instantly in Christ, you get a new status. But it takes a lifetime of growing into that. Just like I became a husband in a moment, I'll take a lifetime to become a good one. And you can become a follower of Jesus Saved by his grace in a moment. But it takes an entire lifetime to live in hell. Are you tracking with me on that? And so, so, so Peter looks at them and he says, you have a choice to make. The whole first part of chapter 1 is you have a new status. You've been born again. You have this incredible inheritance. God is doing something in your life. And he gets to verse 13 and he says, so therefore, because all of that's true, because you have this new status, now you get to decide, will you keep living in the old way? The old way that was handed down to you from other people. The old way that was marked by the pursuit of temporary things. The old way that ultimately ends in frustration and disappointment and bitterness and envy. He said, that's the way the old way of life will take you. And you can still pursue the old way even though you've been made a new creation. He says, or you can make the choice to live into this new thing that God has given you. This thing that was handed down to you by Jesus. This thing that's not temporary but eternal. This thing that leads to the pathway of never-ending joy, peace, and love. And I don't know all of your stories. In fact, I don't know a lot of your stories. But but here's what I I would, if I was a betting man, I'd be willing to bet on this. That if, that you're hungry for the, the life of joy and of peace and of love. And that you don't just want to be the recipient of it. But that you want to actually be a conduit of is, is that true? You can talk back to me here. At the canner, they talk back to me. Is that true of you? Like, do you want you can use your mouths like do you want the way of love and like let us practice this? You can say no. I'm not asking you to say yes if you, but is that what you're after? Like the life of, of love and joy and peace? And and Peter says, You can have that in Christ. Now now it's time to like live into that. It's time to move into that. And he's gonna say, Here's how you live into it. And he gives three just really practical handles. These are not exhaustive. He's not saying, hey, if you do this, it's the only way to do it. Um, But he gives three really practical handles. And here's what I want you to notice. The order of this is really important. He says, you don't do these things in order to be born again. You don't do these things in order to, to get the good life. He says, you have been born again. God has given you the good life. And now here's how you live into it. If you get the order of these things backwards, you end up with legalism. If you get the order correct, you end up with gospel hope. And there's a big difference. One says, if you do these things, God likes you. But what Peter is saying is God likes you. And because he likes you, you're going to want to do these things. He's going to say, here's how you begin living into this new life. He says, it's going to require you to have a change in your mindset, a change in your heart, and a change in your life. He's going to say, there's got to be a change in your thinking, a change in your heart, and there's got to be a change in the way that you live. So let's start with this change of mind. Look at verse 13 with me. He starts like this. He says, so therefore, since you are a new creation... Therefore, since you have been born again, therefore, since you have this new status, with minds that are alert and fully sober. With minds that are alert and fully sober. He starts by speaking into this like change of mind that you have to have. And I don't, I don't know if you write in your Bibles or underline in your Bibles, but you should underline that phrase, that word alert, and also the word uh, fully sober. Let's start with this idea of alertness. In the original language, kind of spoiler alert, the Bible wasn't written in, in English it written in another language, and so sometimes it translates over kind of funny, but in the most truest sense, if it was going to be translated word for word, uh, what Peter says here is, is, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. That word alert means to gird up the loins of the mind. Now, that's really weird terminology. I don't know. I don't know. Did any of you use the word loins at any point this week? Like, like, you, like you know, that's not like a common, like, word that we're using in 2018 in downtown Nashville. But uh, it's a really provocative image because when this letter was written, Peter was writing in the middle of the Roman Empire. And one of the ways that that people would dress, you know, they typically have a long outer garment, some sort of a robe. And I don't know if you've ever worn a robe outside of your house. Hopefully you haven't. But if if you ever have, like trying to run in a robe is like virtually impossible. And so if someone was going to run during the days that Peter's writing this letter, they'd say, gird up your loins. In other words, literally take the middle part of your robe, pull it up Tie it up around your waist so if you're like me, your little chicken legs can stick out and you can run. Like, uh, in our context, Peter would say something like this probably. Hey, put on your running shoes. Hey, get ready. Like, get ready to move. He says, put on the running shoes of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. In other words, he says, live with this expectation that God is with you and that God wants to use you to bless somebody around you. Peter says, you've been given this new status, but you haven't stepped into the new life because I think sometimes we live with minds that are half asleep and we forget that God is a God of action. He has something that he wants you to be a part of today. And so often we just miss out on the opportunities that are all around us. Um, You know, we got back from vacation this week and and I learned this in very real time. We got back from vacation. Both of our cars broke down, was just added to the week that we're having. And I was doing a, a wedding on Friday night. And so for one of my friends, I call an Uber and I'm riding to this wedding and I'm like 10 minutes into the ride and I don't know if you drive Uber or if you ever take an Uber. It's one of the best ways to meet people. And I'm in this car and I'm thinking about what I want to say at the wedding. I'm thinking about my buddy and all these things. And the Holy Spirit, he just reminds me, he says, Dave, you're treating this car ride with a mind that's asleep. Like gird up the loins of your mind, put on your running shoes. Like I've got something and I start thinking, okay, God, like, that's right. Like, I don't know this guy who's driving the car. I'll probably never see him again. Like, why'd you put me, uh, out of all the Uber drivers, why'd you give me this guy? Why am I here? And so I just start asking the Lord and I ask the guy a really simple question and he just opens up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you feel me? <laughs> like, <laughs> he, he just, he just opens up. And I don't know if you ever had one of those conversations before where you ask a question and people are just, they shut you down immediately. But this guy was the opposite of that. I I asked him a question. He starts telling me about how eight years earlier he'd gone through this brutal divorce and lost his children in the custody battle, how he hadn't been in a church in eight years. And then he asked me this question. He has no idea that I'm a pastor. He has no idea that I'm going to a wedding. He knows nothing about me. He He says, sir, what do you think the central message of the Bible is? I'm like, how crazy is that? Like, I mean, I can't make this up. God knew I needed an illustration for today, so he gave me this car ride, you know? And I'm like... And I have this moment where I get to pray with them and talk with them and invite them to church and exchange numbers and all these things. And I'm like, God, how many moments do we miss out on because we have a new status but we're operating with an old mindset? This old mindset, you know, that that, that God's done his thing and that we just live our lives. And I go, how many of you came here this morning thinking, man, God wants to use you this morning in this space with somebody? There's somebody in this room that needs the touch of God through your life. But a lot of times we come into places and we're not alert. He says, he says, if you want the new life, if you, if you want to step into the thing that God has made you for, he says you live with the sense of alertness. But he keeps going. Look back at verse 13. He says, it's not just with the mind that's alert. He says, he says but I, I want you to be fully sober. And he's not talking about physical sobriety here. He's talking about spiritual sobriety. And it's really important. You know, really the difference so often between sobriety and drunkenness is just the clarity of mind. You know that somebody's had too much to drink when, when, when their thinking begins to distort, when it begins to change. And I, I love this moment where Peter says just like wine can be a good thing, but if you have too much of it, it distorts your thinking. He says the things of the world can be really good things. Marriage, life, family, relationship, career, sex, children, creativity, music. All those things can be really good in their proper order, in their proper place. He says, but if you take too much of those things in, just like good wine, it will leave your mind reeling and distorted. He says, he says if you want to live into this life that Jesus has already purchased for you, this thing that you didn't earn, if you want to live into this life, he says, it involves you changing your mindset, not just being ready, but being sober. Like, really thinking about the kingdom, not letting the things of the world overtake you. And so, just kind of an example of this, early on in our marriage, uh, I was like 23 years old, and, and Sydney and I, we were so broke, you know, we are just trying to make ends meet, and one of our friends called us, his parents had bought this plot of land, and they discovered there was an oil reserve under, under this huge piece of property that they bought, which was really great news for them. And they said, hey, we're going to drill for oil, you know, on this land, and we're looking for people that want to invest in it, and... Uh, you know, if we strike oil, you're going to, you know, make a lot of money off this. And so I remember us just counting the costs. We did our due diligence. We we're trying to figure that out. And so after we kind of saw everything, we thought, okay, this is a good investment. And we literally emptied our savings in our bank account at the time. And, you know, for the next three weeks, the only way I know how to describe our thinking is, is we were drunk on the idea of opportunity. We were drunk with the thought of possibility. Like, man, what would happen? What would happen if they strike oil? Like, what can we do with it? And, you know, you always, like, if you daydream, you daydream about the best version of yourself, you know? And so we're like, we'll get rich, and, but not for ourselves, you know? Like, we'll, you know, we'll help tons of orphans and lots of people in need. Like, cause that's the way you daydream, right? And so, you know, we daydream in really good ways. And, and so for three weeks, we were just intoxicated, honestly, by the concerns of the world. And i never forget getting that phone call from my friend I was at, at my other job at the time. And I'm like, I'm going to step out on the porch so I can celebrate appropriately. And I step out and I'll never forget the tone of his voice. He says, I have good news and bad news. And I was hoping that the good news was, you know, we hit oil and the bad news was we were not going to be able to spend all the money in our lifetime. <laughs> but that was, that was not the bad news. <laughs> you know, he said, the good news is there is oil on the property. We have confirmed that. The bad news is we've missed it. And we're going to drill again. And if, if you guys can invest, we would love for you to be a part of that. And I'm like, bro, I've got nothing to invest. And I remember for the next five or six weeks being intoxicated by the disappointment. And some of you have been there, right? You've been there. You've been intoxicated by the opportunity. You've been intoxicated by the disappointment. You've you've chased down the things of the world and you've lost sight of the kingdom. And and Peter's going to say, hey, here's the deal. He says, you've been given this new life. Your status has changed. But in order to enjoy this new status, there's going to have to be a change in your mind. And this is what Jesus talks about. His first ever recorded sermon, he says, the kingdom of God is so close you can touch it with your hand. But in order to enter in, you have to change your way of thinking. Or Romans chapter 12, verse 2, remember what Paul says? Be transformed by the renewal of your what? Come on, speak to me. Be transformed by the renewal of your what? Your mind that so often the new life is engaged when we change the way that we think. He says, it's not just the way that you think. He says, it's not just a mind change. It's a change of heart. Look back at verse 13 as well. He says, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace that will be brought to you when Jesus is revealed in His coming. He says, set your hope. Set your hope. Like, set your heart. Establish your heart. Uh, on, a, on a source of hope that will not be tampered with when the world begins to shake. He says, you know, in the, in the old way of life, like, your hope is connected to your ability to perform. And I think this is a really important message, especially in a place like Nashville, because in Nashville, we're all performers on some level. Like, like, like people move here to perform or because they want to perform, and uh, a lot of us were trained to think this way, that our value is connected to our performance, I remember in high school, I played on a traveling baseball team and had a coach, he'd always look at us and he'd, he'd make this statement, he says, he says, guys, you're only as valuable to me as your last at bat. In, in other words, I don't care if you've started on this team for two summers, like, I have the right to, to put you on the bench at any moment, and the message he was constantly drilling into our, our young, fragile minds at the time was your value is connected to your what? Your performance. And almost all of us, we get that message at some point early in life. We get that from a parent. We get that from a coach. We get that from a friend. And then we smuggle that way of thinking into the kingdom of God. And it, and it disrupts our hearts. And I love this because Peter says, you can set your hope on your ability to perform, your ability to please God, your ability to serve God, your ability to work for God, or you can set your hope on the grace of Jesus that has already been purchased, that has already been established, that has already been secured for you, and that is coming in fullness. He says, he says, one place will leave you wanting. The other place will leave you unbelievably secure. You know, this week with our two friends that passed away, one, they're about the same age, uh, one in her early 60s, one in her late 50s. One was a lifelong, passionate disciple of Jesus. The other was a cultural, kind of religious, semi-attender of church. It's been crazy to be in those two environments working with those families over the last several days. Uh, our, our friends are just kind of culturally religious. It, it has been a week marked with regret and the what ifs and the conversations around that have, have been things like this. Man, I wish we would have. Why didn't we? I don't know if we did enough. I don't know if we served enough. I don't know if we loved enough. And it, it's this sense that, man, we don't know if our hope for seeing her again is tied in the right place. It's been really sobering, like feeling that this week. Then literally in the exact same time to, to be with our friend whose whose wife was a lifelong disciple of Jesus. And don't get me wrong, they are grieving, there are tears, there's heartache that's going on in the house. But to be in that room that is marked with peace and joy and hope, and I'm sitting there with my friend who just lost his wife, and he said, I am so confident in where. Where Phyllis is right now, he says, not because she is a great woman, which she was, he says, but I'm confident because of what Jesus did, because of who he is. And he knew that that her confidence was not based on her performance, but on Christ's performance for her. And did you know that it's possible to spend your whole life in church, but to anchor your hope to the old ways? And Peter says, if you want the new life, it, it involves you changing the way that you think. But it also in, involves you changing what it is that your heart is anchored to. He says, set your heart on the grace of Jesus. To establish your heart on the grace of Jesus. Change a mind. Change a heart. Last but not least, he says, in a change of your life. Look down at verse 15 with me. He said, but just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all that you do, for it's written, be holy because I am holy. This word holy, it literally just means to be different or to be set apart. And um, can we just all agree for a moment that there are two kinds of different, like there's like the good different and there's the the, the bad different. You know, like I, I remember a few years ago you know, getting Sydney some clothes for Christmas. I never go clothes shopping for her for a reason, but I tried it. I got adventurous. I thought I'm going to, I'm going to buy clothes for her. And I'll never forget, she opened up the box and she looks at it and her first response, she goes, wow, these are so different. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like that was the qualifier. And, and I knew by context clues and because I'm an adult human that her use of the word different wasn't a good thing. That <laughs> there are times like when we see things that are different and we go, oh man, that's not good. But the other night, uh, I'm, I'm over at the Mercy Lounge and I'm, uh, I was there to see the band that I love play and there's this band opening for them that I'd never seen before, never even heard of them. And they were so different and it was awesome. It was like beautiful, like just magnetic. I thought, man, I've never seen people play the guitar like that. I've never seen melodies. It's just incredible to see what they're doing. And I go, there's, that's the kind of different that Peter's talking about. He said, I want you to live a life that is different. Just as Jesus is different from all of the other gods you worship before him, he says, I want your life to be different from all of the people around you, not in the weird different way. But in the beautiful different way, in the contagious different uh, way, in the hopeful different way, so that when people around you see you, they go, man, what is it that she is after? What is it that he is chasing after? This idea of holiness, it involves kind of two sides of the same coin. There's things that we let go of and there's things that we take hold of. You know, he's going to say, in order to be like Jesus, in order to live in this new way of life, like there are old habits There are old sins, there are old patterns, there are old ways of doing things that you have to let go of. And I know that's not very popular to say, but there are things that you have to let go of if you want to embrace a new way of living. Like following Jesus should fundamentally change everything about us. It should change the way that you date. It should change the way that you steward your sexuality. It should change the way that you handle your money. It should change the way that you work. It should change the way that you neighbor. Like, there are things that you begin to let go of as you begin to walk more fully into the ways of Jesus. He said, sometimes that's going to be hard. You know, for me, I found that to be kind of hard. I became a follower of Jesus. And all of these old patterns, all of these old things that I used to hold on to, they were just right there with me still. And I don't know about you, I don't know what your story is. Before I became a follower of Jesus, I used to plan to sin. Like, that was on my agenda. I knew when I was going to do it, how I was going to do it, and then all of a sudden there's this thing that has happened in my heart where I want to live for God, but those old habits die hard. And I love this, he says, as you come into the kingdom... This new way of living, it's going to change the way that you live. You're going to begin to live holy. You're going to let go of some things, and it will fundamentally change you. I remember several years ago, one of my good friends, he and a, another guy started this advertising agency. And they had this big vision, this big dream. And, man, honestly, it took off in ways they couldn't have imagined. Uh, they get this call from a client, a huge client. If I named them, you know who they are. Um, a, a Men's Magazine that wanted to, to use my friend's new company to totally redo their online branding. And it was going to be a job that would absolutely change the trajectory of their career, their financial status. But I remember my friend right after this happened, he's a follower of Jesus. And he said, man, I don't know if I can do this job because this company makes all of their money objectifying women. And he said, I don't know if I can walk in holiness and and do this. And so he goes and talks to his partner. His partner was not really a follower of Jesus. And he said, hey, we're doing this. My, My buddy goes and talks to the board. They said, we're doing this. They let my friend go from his job and the company that he helped start took the job it took off just like they'd expected and he found himself in this moment where he went just how different am I willing to live for the cause of Jesus and I think in a place like this it's easy to say let's be holy (laughs) and then holiness begins to step on the toes of opportunity and we go man what do we do with it he says I want you to be different be holy says, so it's about what you let go of. It's also about what you lean into. Have you ever been around somebody that they have so prioritized their life around the rhythms of Jesus that when you're with them, you go, man, I just want to be like them. I think about for Sydney and I, two of our dear friends, Mike and Sally, they're in their early 60s. They lived in London for most of their life, but they've been in South Carolina for the last 10 years, and they've become friends and mentors of ours. And uh, one of my favorite things about Mike and Sally is every time they move into a new neighborhood, they, they throw these parties and they call them, thank God it's Monday parties. And it's exactly what it sounds like. Every Monday night, you should really rip this idea off, by the way. I mean, it's a great idea. They, every Monday night, they host these potlucks in their neighborhood. Everybody from the neighborhood brings something over to their house. And they get together and they say, hey, let's just tell the truth. All of us hate Mondays, but we're going to make it great by having a party every week. And so they they have this potluck at their house and they'll just go around the room at at the end of every, thank God it's Monday party and they'll say, what was the best thing that happened today and what's the worst thing that happened today? And at the end of the time, Mike and Sally will just pray over the group and just bless them. And it's amazing if you ever show up to one of those parties. It's the most eclectic group you've ever been at. I mean, old, young, rich, poor, like different ethnicities, uh, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different religious views, different sexual orientations. I mean, it is the most eclectic group, but they are drawn to that house like moths to a flame because they know in that house are Mike and Sally, and they know that Mike and Sally are more unique and wonderful than any human beings have ever been around. And it's crazy because everywhere that Mike and Sally have lived over their lives, they've lived in 127 different homes. Uh, and this is a whole other part of their story. Everywhere they live, there is a ripple effect of the grace of God in that community because they lived lives that are different. But not just weird, different, beautiful, different. And Peter says, like, do you know? Like, do you know what God has done for you? Like, like guys, we were, we were dead in our sins, No hope, but through the power and the grace of Christ, you've been given a new status. And like my mentor years ago sitting across the coffee table, he he, he looks at this young church and he says, now you get to decide if you want to start living into this unbelievable status that God's already already given you. And I don't know if you're like me, but but I read this and I go, man, I I want to do this. (laughs) Like, like I I want to have a changed mind and I want to have a changed heart and I want to have a changed way of life. But maybe you're like me, I go, it's tough for me to even get to work on time in the morning. Like, how can I change my heart? How can I change my mind? How can I change my life? And you have to remember that this letter that we're reading here in the Bible, it was a letter, which means Peter wrote it to a group of people. And that group of people wrote back to him. And then he wrote back to them again, and we don't have the letters that were written back to Peter, but you can kind of infer what some of those questions they were asking were because of how he starts the next letter. And what I'm convinced of is that that early church that received this letter, 1 Peter, and they read chapter 1, they went, man, we want to have a renewed mind, we want to have a renewed heart, we want to have a renewed life, but we can't seem to do it. How do we do that, Peter? And in the very next letter that he writes to them, 2 Peter chapter 1, you can go home and read it today, he answers the question. He says, here's how you have a renewed mind. Here's how you have a renewed heart. Here's how you have a renewed life. This is what he says, verse three. He says, It is because of his divine power. It's his divine power that's at work within you. And he's given you everything that you need to escape the corruption of the world and to participate in the fullness of God's kingdom. I love it. Peter, they asked Peter, how, how do we do this? And he doesn't give them a list of 10 things. He doesn't say, try harder, 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 harder. He says, he says, no, you do this because the very presence of God himself is at work inside of your life. And if you're interested in having a renewed mind and a renewed heart and a renewed life, he says, it comes as you walk in friendship with the Holy Spirit, not as you try to perform more diligently. People go, what, what comes first, God's work or our effort? And I go, God always initiates, but it always involves some sort of response. It's like two pedals on the same bicycle, right? (laughs) Like like God pushes first. You're born again. That was his work. Like none of you, think about this physically, none of you had anything to do with your own conception or your own birth, correct? Like shake your head if you you understand biologically that you had nothing to do with either of those things. And by the grace of God, you can't remember either of them either. Like think about how terrible it would be if you could remember either of those realities. You had nothing to do with it. But you've spent your whole life growing into something that was done for you. Same in the kingdom of God. That God has done something in Jesus towards you, for you, through you, in you. And then by his grace, you spend the rest of your life growing into that. When I was teaching my son Jack how to ride a bike, he's right-handed and thus he's right-legged. And so he kept trying to ride the bike but was really just using one leg. And I'm like, bro, if this is going to work, you've got to use the other leg. And it's same in the kingdom of God. That God moves it forward, and we respond. He moves it forward, and we respond. And I go, I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you're like me, and I go, man, I need a renewed mind, a renewed heart, and a renewed life. And here in just a minute, we're going to get together. We're going to take communion. We're going to break the bread. We're going to take the cup. And literally, as you hold the bread and as you hold the cup, you are being reminded that it is by the grace of Jesus that you're here today. It is by the grace of Jesus that you are secured today. And it is by the grace of Jesus that we move into the future together. And so I'm going to invite you, like, you can circle your chairs up this last worship gathering of the day in this space, get in circles, we're going to talk, we're going to pray, share what it is that God's stirring. Where do you need renewal? Maybe you're like me and you need renewal in all three places. And we're going to talk, we're going to pray, we're going to share that together. Uh, some of you are here this morning, you're not followers of Jesus. You're here because somebody drugged you here, or the girl that invited you is beautiful, or you're here because you feel guilty about something this weekend. Here's what I want you to know, wherever you find yourself on the journey of faith, God knows you. God loves you, and God has been pursuing you even when you had no concept of his pursuit. And if anything we talked about today is intriguing or frustrating or um, you want to step into it or you want to ask questions, there'll be some men and women back in the back. I'll be back there. I'd love to talk. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to answer any questions you may have uh, about following Jesus. So I want to invite you. Let's stand together as we get ready to receive communion together. I want to pray a blessing over you. And then uh, we have communion on the front tables. And there's just a little bit of communion on the front tables. We also have more communion on the back tables that you can go towards as well. And, uh, and then let's circle up our chairs, get in groups and pray. So I'll pray over us. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. And God, I'd pray that right now, as we open our hearts together towards you in community, that you would speak to us, that you would minister to us as only you can in real time. Uh, Lord, would you sort out the details of our hearts for those of us that have not been born again, God, would you by the power of your Holy Spirit bring us into the kingdom. It's in the name of Jesus I pray and give thanks. Amen.